and uh, I'm excited about what we've got in store today. I get to, hopefully I won't be too distracted today, I get to bring the message today with uh, my girlfriend, my wife's girlfriend. I mean, we're married, but she's my girlfriend, I date her, and, and we're married too. So if y'all see me get distracted by her radiant beauty, just say, hey, eyes forward, sir, eyes forward, sir. That's what we'll do. But we're in the middle of this series called You Ask For It, and we're doing our best this time around to answer as many questions that were turned in as we possibly could because we asked you as a church to turn in some questions you had about the Bible or life in general, stuff that you don't hear addressed every day in church circles, and uh, we were going to do our best to answer those things because we want to make sure that we're answering questions that people are asking. You know what I mean? I want to make sure that church is relevant and the Word of God is relevant, which it is because it speaks to every area of our lives, but sometimes churches skim over uh, sensitive issues and, and avoid that. And we didn't want to do that, and so uh, that's what this whole series has been about. So today, I'm excited that I get to share some time with this good-looking lady. You don't get to see her every week because she's real busy serving our children in e-kids and she's doing a fantastic job as children's pastor in the church. Never thought you would ever be called that, but you're doing a great job at it. How about we do this? Can we give some Eastgate love and show some love to my beautiful wife, Kelly Pate, as she comes to take the stage this morning? Come on up here, girl. Oh! You getting that seat? Oh, looking good. Stop. Looking good. You have to stop now because I have to look at everybody now. While you, you have to do what? I have to look at everybody while you say that. So it's one thing when I'm looking no, up here no, when you're saying it, but I have to look at everybody when you say it. My wife is smoking <laughs> hot. My goodness. Some, the guys are like, yeah, okay, bro. That's good. I don't know what to say right now because if I say, yeah, that's going to be real <laughs> awkward. <laughs> Woo, yeah, she's hot. Keep an eye on him, ushers. <laughs> Can't do that. Um, but we got some questions that we want to to answer today and we're just going to rip through as many of these as we possibly can while we got time to do it you do you do look good (laughs) some eyes forward i love hey it's okay if we have a little bit of fun this morning right man god's been moving and changing lives so uh let's let's have some fun too while we're at it so let's dive into some questions you want to do the first one sure why are there so many translations of the bible Oh, have you guys ever asked that before? Like, why are there so many? Like, like I could, as apparently on. somebody <laughs> has, because we're talking about it today. Like, I could get, like, maybe five or ten different versions, but we've got, like, a, a gazillion versions of the, the Bible. you got the NIV, the NLT, the ESV, the uh, NASB, the, New, the King James, the New King James, the fiction to be newer King James version of the Bible, XYZ version of the Bible. It's, it's all there. Dude, there's even a uh, Ebonics version of the Bible. <laughs> yeah, for real. It's like anything you can think of. I um, think I would need that one translated though for me. I would need a translation of that translation no, to be street. able to read you it. You can speak so. street. You got that? No. You could do it? No. You don't think so? I don't know. So, so why are there so many different translations of the Bible? Well, there's only one original copy of the Greek and Hebrew. So uh, we had to translate that because I don't know about you guys, but I'm not proficient in Greek or Hebrew. So they had to translate well, it. So people like that, me. Like, okay, is anybody here that can, you're, you can speak Greek and Hebrew or read Greek and Hebrew? 
nobody. Like I said. Okay, yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> so, yeah, so so that was, uh, it was originally written in Greek and Hebrew. Why are there so many different translations? Short answer is translations are just that. They're translations. They're translated copies of the original manuscript written in everyday terms that people like you and me can understand because uh, not everybody speaks Greek or can read Hebrew or, or any of that stuff. So uh, there was a guy named, uh, what was his name? Was it William Tyndale? William Tyndale. William Tyndale. The dude named William Tyndale. I got a really disturbing picture of him I want to show you. Uh, he was, they, <laughs> they, they couldn't take photographs when this dude was walking the earth. They could just draw your picture and... He has a really big forehead for some reason, and I don't know why. Um, if you're but, as amazing as he is, though, he was, though, you can... Yeah, I guess okay. so. He's the guy that originally <laughs> translated, or did a lot of the original translation of the Bible from uh, Greek and Hebrew into an everyday man's language when he was alive. Because uh, back in the day, if, if you were a common dude on the street, you didn't get to read the Word of God for yourself. You would go to church, and then a qualified priest would translate that someone who had been educated would translate that and, and read it to you and you just had to take them at their word that they were actually reading what the bible said so william Tyndale said you know what i don't think that was god's intent with this whole thing and so he uh did a lot of work translating putting the bible into everyday man's language and that's what he did and you know what he got for uh, all his works and efforts he got martyred he got martyred. The church didn't like that, man. Isn't that crazy? You, know, you can look back through history, and religion has done everything it could possibly do to keep a move of God from happening. And think about that. There's a big difference between religion and the gospel. And so what, what we got today, whether you're reading the NIV or the NASB or you know, NLT, whatever, those are just translations to put the Greek and Hebrew into an everyday man's language and put their own little personal twist on it. So that's why we got so many translations of the Bible. There's a lot of them. Uh, there's a whole lot of them. But if you read the NIV, it looks a lot different than the Message Bible. It really does. Um, hey, if you haven't read uh, a real literal translation of the New Testament, um, called Kenneth Woost, I believe the guy's name, he uh, made a really literal, like a literal translation of the New Testament. Um, and when you read it, it's like the original Greek phrases as they were written. It reads so, like Yoda. It like really Yoda's does. Reading. It gets really hard to like read. Yoda. But it's a great study tool. But as you read through it, you'll be like, yeah, now I understand why we've got the translations we do today. Because this is like reading a dictionary is what it's like. This is a whole lot of, <laughs> lot of fun stuff. So uh, that's a good question, though. I've, I've wondered that, too. Sometimes I wonder what the newest translation is going to come out is going to be. Maybe you can get one. Be like, how to look good and be a children's pastor. Forward. Uh, forward. Okay. So what? What? What's the next one we got this morning? What makes a minister? That's a good one. First of all, I'll start it off. It's yeah. a starts off as a calling from God. It's not something you know you just decide to do, but God will call you to be a minister, but just because you're called to be a minister does not mean that you automatically are imparted with all of these natural giftings and abilities and talents, and suddenly you're amazing. Yeah. You know, if you couldn't get up on stage and hold the microphone, 
microphone, you're probably not going to be able to like just like that. So it takes practice. It takes teaching yourself and learning how to be a, like if you're going to be up and be a pastor or a preacher, you're going to need to learn how to be a good communicator. Because if you're really dry and awful, people are going to fall asleep while you're talking. But it takes study. And if you don't know the scriptures in the Bible, you're not all of a sudden going to know all the scriptures in the Bible. You know, you have to constantly keep feeding yourself and growing and preparing and doing that. And then God's calling on you steps in and goes yeah. from there. And then there's the initiation trials that you got to go through. <laughs> You have to take a ring to a fiery mountain and throw it in to destroy all the dark forces of the area. Then you can be a minister. It's a good thing you're not in charge. Yeah. Well, there's, it's, it's uh, like there's a calling to it, too. But I think in a way, this term minister gets thrown around a lot. You realize like, we're all called to ministry one way or another, though. We all have our individual ministry and calling of God on our lives. So in one, one respect, we're all ministers of the gospel. Make sense? So we're all ministers of the gospel. Why, how we get qualified to do that? Good. Get saved. Ask Jesus into your heart. And then tell everybody about what he did in your life. You know, um, It's the first calling any Christian has on their lives. But uh, there is um, a calling that goes beyond that on, on uh, individuals to lead and be in a position of leadership and teaching in the church. And I think that's what this is about, what makes a minister. We could spend all weekend on this doing a seminar of what you better get ready for and what you better prepare for um, if you're interested in, in jumping into to ministry because it's awesome. Being in ministry is absolutely awesome. But mm -hmm. it's, it's hard as junk, too, to do <laughs> sometimes. True. Um, it, it, really, it really is because you got to divorce so much of yourself to be able to do it. But I wanted to jump into to Scripture just to make sure we're giving a real solid answer here on what makes a minister. Um, in, in the book of 1 Timothy, uh, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, there's kind of a qualification list of what a minister um, in, the, in the church would look like or an overseer, a person in leadership who has... Um, heavy responsibility. Because here's a trustworthy saying, whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. Absolutely true. It's one of the most awesome things you're ever going to be able to do. Uh, now the overseer is to be. Now I want to stop there. The overseer is to be. He's Paul here is, is fixing to rattle off a list of about 11 things that a minister has to be before a minister can do. Okay? There's, there is a line in your development in ministry between doing and being, being and doing. You have to be before you can do. You have to be before you can do. That's important. The process of development that God's going to put you in, um, really through your whole uh, service in ministry, something you can't get out of. You've got to continually stay in the process of being, being, so that you can effectively do. Does that make sense? It kind of sounded churchy, but that's that you have to be before you can do. So he says you have to be above reproach. If you want to be effective in ministry, you have to be above reproach. That right there. Man, we could spend all day on that. Um, that right there weeds out the pack a lot. Because that means that your lifestyle 
now has to be of such that it casts a positive picture on the church and ministry. Um, you have to be above reproach. That means if somebody's following you around trying to find evidence that uh, you are not a Christian, that they shouldn't be able to find it. Um, that your life preaches the gospel by what you say, what you do, how you entertain yourself, settings that you put yourself in, people that you surround yourself with. I mean, everything above reproach means that you, that you live at a place above Above accusation with your lifestyle. That takes tremendous personal sacrifice because that means your life as you know it up until that point has to end. Because it's not about you anymore. If you want to be in ministry, you have got to die to yourself. You got to die. What makes a ministry? You got to die to yourself. You have to be before you can do. You have to be at a place where you can divorce all that stuff of yourself and then take on the image of Christ. And Jesus says, if you want to follow me, deny yourself, take up your cross, and, and follow after me. That's what you got to do in ministry. Um, you have to be, though, be above reproach, faithful to his wife. That's preventative right there, because uh, if you're not faithful to your wife, you're going to be dead, and you're not going to be able to minister. That's true. That's true. At least I would be. Yes. You have to worry about that, though, girl. Uh, temperate. That, whoo, temperate. So you have to be temperate. You can't jump in ministry and then become temperate. You have to be able to control your emotions and establish and prove that you can do that. Why? Because if you fly off the collar on the wrong day at the wrong time and say the wrong thing to the, to, to the wrong person, man, you could jack somebody up spiritually for the rest of their lives. You know, and you're accountable for that. You've got to be temperate. Um, Self-controlled. Whoo, man, temperate and self-controlled. Even when you're watching the NFL and the referees have loser, God-blessed mind like they had the last few weeks. Temperate and self-control. Respectable, hospitable. See, hospitable. <laughs> some, some, some people in ministry are really good at loving people at church. And then outside of church, they don't want anything to do with them. It's crazy. Able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome. Not a lover of money. You got to be before you can do. You got to be before you can do. Um, if, if you're at a place where you feel like you are feeling like God's calling you into like a full-time ministry, this is what you want to do with your life. Okay, You're not just a Christian who ministers, but you know that God is singling you out and calling you out into ministry you got to be before you do. I know I keep coming back to that. Um, you got to make sure you've got a solid foundation under you and not just jump into it because ministry can be, can we just be honest for a little bit, all right? Um, ministry is one of the most, it's the most awesome thing you can ever do. It's one of the hardest things you're ever going to do, okay? Um, you're going to be ministering to people, That's going to be your, your field of work right there. You're going to be ministering to people. People are fickle. People are moody. People can be, and not, not us in this room right now, because I know we all love God and we operate at a realm above all of that. Um, but but people, people, can be, um, people can be difficult to work with sometimes, man. And if you 
don't decide from the get-go what your motivations are and have that already set that I am solid in my walk with God and I am who God wants me to be and I minister out of that because your ministry is going to flow out of your relationship with God. Um, it, it can be rough sometimes, man. You're going to be exposed to criticism like you've never seen before. Um, you're not going to get encouraged at the level that you thought you would. A lot, of, a lot of ministers are very discouraged right now in the world today. Uh, did you know that about every, every month, about 1,700 people in ministry leave the ministry and don't come back? Is that crazy or what? I'm going to say that again because I don't think y'all caught that. Every month, around 1,700 ministers leave the ministry and don't come back. And, and there's a lot of different reasons for that. I think one of the biggest reasons is they forget to be before they do. They forget to be before they do. So what makes a minister? And you've you got you to gotta solve that issue first. Um, the rest just kind of takes care of itself. There's going to be times when, when you're going to feel alone. There's going to be times when you're going to be frustrated. Um, a lot of people in ministry now, they, they look at, at churches and, and they get discouraged because church attendance is going down across the board in, in the country today. Um, where it used to be whenever you showed up to a Sunday, whoever was in your church was in your church on that Sunday. You know, and if they were really spiritual, you'd see them on a Wednesday night. And uh, now, attendance cycles have changed so much, you see... Um, you see people coming to church now about every three weeks, every four weeks. Some people show up every six weeks just because. And, and I'm, I'm not even going to dive into that. But it discourages some pastors because, and I say this, because they have, they, they're, they're drawing their value from the wrong things. They think if the house is full, then they're effective in ministry. You know, if the place is packed out, they're effective in ministry. If they preach the house down and people are standing up and screaming and shouting, then they're, they've had effective ministry that day. And none of that has anything to do with whether or not your ministry is effective. What has, the, your ministry is effective based on one thing. Are you doing what God told you to do? Obedience is the deciding factor in your ministry. You do what God has told you to do the way he's told you to do it, and that's it. And that's it. It's crazy. You know, a church of, of 150 people, and they tell you um, with the way attendance cycles go. Now, on an average Sunday morning, you're going to see uh, between 45 and 55 people on that Sunday just because of how people, you have to take whatever you see and multiply it by three. And right now, it's becoming almost four to figure out your total attendance in the church. It's crazy, and it's driving ministers crazy because they're getting their motivation from the wrong place. I say all that to say this. You've got to decide why you're doing it. You've got to decide who you're doing it for. And then once you make that decision and you get that settled in your heart, then dive into it and go after it with everything you got, you know. Um, it's probably more than you were asking for, but that's real to me. And if, you're, if you feel like you're called in, into ministry, you got anything you want to say? I, like I do, I'm, actually. Go ahead. <laughs> I feel like I'm rattling here. Me, me, pick me. Go. No, um, in saying all that, he's not saying that you have to be a perfect specimen of a human being and have it all together. Lord, no. Because we're all works in pro progress and we're all doing this, but you've got to have a good grip on these things in your life. You know, it doesn't mean that you can never not have self-control. You know, <clears> I mean, for me, you put chocolate in front of me and 
it's getting eaten. Sorry, it's, you know. <laughs> but we, Rachel's giving me, she's, good. she's my accountability over there. So I do this to her. Um, no. But you just have to have a good grip on that. You don't have yeah. to be perfect and never make mistakes and all that. You know, I mean, we're, we're all human and some of us are a little flawed. Most of us are. Perfect. Get down to it. I love it. I think the, this, the, the holes and the gaps in, in our game is what keeps us relatable, I think. Um, if you feel like you're called into ministry, you're in a good church for that. We put a big priority on development in this church. Okay? We are not a church that does plug-and-play ministry. Meaning if we have a need or we got something that we need to make happen, we just throw a body in there and let the body fill the position until we find somebody that can do it better, and then we pull them out or we burn them out, and then we throw somebody else in there. We don't do that here at this church. We are committed to your development because we believe that God has a call on everybody's life, and that calling that's on your life is incredibly important. Okay, it's incredibly important. And so we want to invest in that and come alongside of that. And so we got a saying here, we want our ceiling to be your floor. We want our ceiling to be your floor. And that we want all of our experience, all, of, all the knowledge that we have, we want that to be the starting point for your ministry and your calling in your life. So if you're here and that's, that's you, you know, maybe you ask because you're interested in, in jumping into the ministry, come talk to me. Come talk to me. We'll figure out what, uh, what God's speaking to you and what you feel like you might want to do, and we'll game plan uh, a great way to help prepare you for that. But the thing is, you, you got to be before you do. So um, that's all I got. That's good stuff. Right. I want to do the next one, too. Okay. The number, the number four on the list of why do we not have communion? Nope, you skipped number three. Did I skip number three? Yeah. What's number three? <laughs> oh, that's because I didn't want to do that. <laughs> I'll let you start this one. How do you know to shake the dust off your feet or when you're casting your pearls before swan? That is a really good one that could have a really long answer. Yeah, we have to be concise on that, I think. Yeah. All right. Let's jump to Matthew 10 because some of y'all might not know what this is referring to. Jesus was talking to his disciples. He kind of sent them out on a little field trip and said, I want you to go preach in these different towns. And he said, you know, some of them aren't going to welcome you, though. So Matthew 10, 14, he says... If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that home or town and shake the dust off your feet. And that was just a way of saying, I wipe myself clean of this. I'm not accountable for you because you're choosing not to listen to, to, to what I'm saying. Um, but the question is, how, how do you know when it's time to do that with somebody in, in your personal life, I think? Um, that gets tricky. You, you got anything you want to well, you have to ask yourself, what, what is your motivation in all of it? You know, is your motivation preferential? Are they not doing something that you want them to be doing? Or is your motivation that you want to see them grow and get stronger and get over? Yeah, that's huge because we're, we're all called to make disciples. You know that, right? Yeah. We're all called to make disciples. Um, that means we're going to have to interact with people. And I, and I can tell you from working in ministry for a while, people do not always grow at the pace that you would like them to. Um, and sometimes I don't grow at the pace that God wants me to. I, I get that. Um, so what would be the motivation in shaking off the dust from your feet? These are good filters to put your decision-making process through. So what's your motivation in this? Is it because you're frustrated? 
Is it because you're frustrated because they're not moving at the pace that you want them to? And I think that's where most people land on this, is that they feel like they've told someone over and over and over again or encouraged someone over and over and over again on a topic or an area, and they're just not moving the way they want them to. Um, and we've got to back up and be honest with ourselves and say, okay, what's my motivation here? Is it because I'm trying to force them into a pace of growth that they're not ready for? That's a big deal. I think the church messes that up a lot with people. I think a lot of people's spiritual walks have been destroyed because we have tried to push people through a process of growth that God wanted to walk them through. Does that make sense? Is that, I don't know what that is, gentlemen. You let me know if we need to change microphones. Okay, we'll give it just a little bit longer. Um, okay, so once, let's say you've established that your motivation is good, that your heart is pure, it's right. You want to see someone grow and change yeah. and get stronger. And then at what point then, when your motivation is right, right. do you You got to look at their on? heart. You got to look at their heart because that's the deciding factor, man. And that, that's how God deals with us. And we deal with people the way that God deals with us, right? We love people the way God loves us. So you got to look at the heart. Um, are they trying to grow, but they're just jacking stuff up and, and messing up along the way? Because they're having a hard time in developing, like ditching the habit or not saying the phrase or whatever it is or repeating the behavior. Um, it, is, it, is it that their heart is good and they're sincerely trying, but they're just having a hard time getting it down? Okay, If that's the case, man, you've you got to give them grace and let them, let them have space to grow in that. Okay, How many of you always get everything right every first time you try to do something? Anybody? Just Pastor yeah. Jeremy and Teddy. All right, Pastor Jeremy and Teddy are going to be Thus, giving classes on lying, lying humility, pride, and... <clears throat> And, and, and all that stuff. No, they, uh, most people don't do that, you know, but if they're sincerely trying and their heart is right, and you'll know, you'll know if that effort is there, but they're just not getting it. Be patient with that, you know. But you'll know their heart is not in the right place because you'll be able to see the fruit in their lives, all right? You'll see the effort stop. You'll, you'll be able to pick up on a change in their spirit and their attitude, and, and that's when you've got to be careful in in um, dealing with other people because if you push too hard when a person is not willing to grow then they're going to lash back at you and it's going to become counterproductive and you're going to create drama fest that you don't want now it's going to be your will versus their will and nobody ever wins when it comes to that and so you got to look at their heart look at that fruit and sometimes it's time just to let people go all right I believe that when you let people go because of what, if the behavior doesn't change or if whatever's supposed to be happening isn't happening, there's a time to let them go. When you see that there's been a period of time where there's been no display of effort or growth or change, all right, and whatever that area is, let them go. Let them go. But leave that door open so that they can come back. That's what God does with us. Okay? He'll let us blaze our own trail sometimes. He'll let us blaze our own trail and go on out, and he'll let us hit the wall so that we can learn things on our own the hard way sometimes. But he keeps that door open so that when we come back, he's there waiting to pick up where he left off 
and to help us continue out that call in our lives. And that's what we got to do with people, all right? <clears throat> a lot of times we like to say, I'll just wipe my hands of you. I'm done. I'm done. Man, that, that feels real good to be able to say it. I'm done. But what you need to do is just put it on pause and say, you know what? You're probably going to have to learn this one the hard way. So when you're ready, we'll be here when you come back. So you got to leave that door open. I had a situation with someone like that. And, you know, I knew that a lot of people before had talked to this person and helped them out and even said a lot of things I was saying. But I took time and counseled this person, lots of long phone calls. And if you know me, I'm not much of a phone person. So hours worth of phone calls, listening, you know, to stories and all this, lots of issues in, in their life. And I thought, great, I'm going to help this person. I really feel like they're listening to me. And they would, they say, oh, that's so good that you said that. But I also knew in the back of my mind that 10 other people in front of me had said the same things to this person. And I thought, well, you know what? I'm number 11, maybe number 11, maybe number 11's the one that's going to change this person, you know? But I realized after time, I was like, okay, number 11's not going to be the one that this person is going to hear and, and they're going to change. So I thought it's time to let number 12 step in and, and have their shot at this person. But I realized that this person really didn't have that heart to change. They just wanted someone to listen and they had burnt the bridges before them. And so I gradually kind of eased off the, the friendship and eased off and just backed off a little bit and, and let it move on to somebody else. But I mean, it wasn't six days worth or six weeks worth. This was years and years yeah. and years. I invested a lot into this, you know, and, and I knew that, you know what, this, this may not come to something it may, but I believe that everybody can change. I don't believe everybody will change, but I believe that everybody can change and everybody deserves that opportunity. Yeah. You know, and I think about people in the Bible who are stupid and stubborn and God still was able to use them. So I, you know, I was willing to give it a shot and willing to help this person out and I let them move on. But, you know, sometimes we have to just sit back and realize that some people don't actually want help. They just want attention for the issues that they're going through. And so they use those issues to get your Golly, attention. Because we, so you know, as, as some of us have really big hearts and you just want to help everyone out there and you believe their story and you believe their pain and all that, so you throw yourself into it. But at some point in time, when every time you see the phone call, you're just like, and you start getting that frustration. That's kind of a good, good key that it's probably time to, when it's more frustration than anything else, you know, yeah. you just have to let it go. But That's good. But I think God will let you know. He, he kind of settles that in your spirit, too, lets you know that, hey, yeah, it's, it's time to move on. That's another thing, too. God's pretty good about letting people know as long as you're praying. He'll speak to you and let you know, too. So uh, why do we not have communion? We do have communion. We do have communion. We do have communion. Yeah, we do. We don't have communion every week here. Uh, we don't have communion every month here at this church. Um, about every four months, give or take or so, we'll have communion. Um, to me, it's, I don't want, the reason why we don't have it a lot is because I don't want it to be a repetitive thing. And I don't want it to seem like a ritualistic kind of thing in the church. Um, Jesus encouraged us to, to take communion and to do it in remembrance of him. And so when we do it, it's just my take. You know, somebody else may tell you different because it's kind of a preferential thing because I don't think we're given a timeline. In, in scripture on how often you're supposed to do it, you know, really. But the, the big thing is that we do it, and we do it to remember him and to honor what he did. And so when we do it every few months, I think it gives focus 
and clarity on what we're doing and why we're doing it. While if you did it every week, I'm not saying you wouldn't lose the the meaning behind it, but it, man, it would become repetitive, and and I don't want to ever lose the heart uh, or the why behind what we're doing with that kind of thing. I think that's important. Um, November 24th service coming up. We're going to have communion. It's right before Thanksgiving, which I thought would be pretty cool. And we're, we're going to do a special service that day, too, about dealing with family for the holidays. Because some, good. like, my, I've got family here, so I'll say this. My family's wonderful. My family's perfect. And not everybody, if you go far enough into the extended family, you're going to get into those stereotypes. There's always going to be the the somebody that knows everything and has all the answers, and the somebody that just wants to suck you into the drama of their life and, and all this stuff. And uh, so we're going to have a good service on uh, what the Bible says about dealing yeah. with well, that kind of communion stuff. Communion too doesn't just have to be done at church. No, it you can doesn't. do it at home too. So. Actually, it's really good if you if you have a family to um, to just make that part of family time and just sit down and, and have communion with your family and teach the kids what it's all about and and uh, let dad lead or or mom mom and dad tag team that and just show the kids how important what Jesus has done in their lives is. So yeah, you can do it at home. There's nothing written that says it has to be done in church. Um, so holy cow, I'm looking at this next question. This is a big one. Y'all got, t- y'all got it in you for one more question? Um, I'll let you ask this one. Do pets go to heaven? Do pets go to heaven? Do pets go to heaven? Um, I don't know if that's specific enough. Honestly, we really, we really don't know. I mean, I it, don't think that's clear cut in the Bible. No, well, I mean, it, we know when Jesus died, Jesus died for like mankind's sin. I don't know if pets sin. I don't know. I take that back. There's a lot of pets that do a lot of sinful stuff. Little little demon creatures. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm not a big pet yeah. guy, though, myself. But, uh, but I don't think you'll find anywhere in Scripture that says one way or the other. There are people that have very strong opinions on this. And I'll say this, man. If, since it doesn't really say hardcore in the Bible, I mean, you could you can make the case that Jesus died for men and not for, for animals. But there's a lot of crazy creatures up in heaven, too. So we do know there's going to be some That's creatures true. up there. We just don't know necessarily if, if Fido and Rover and Fifi and, and Moo were going to make it. Um, so you don't, you don't really know for sure. But So it, it kind of lands in the, the realm of opinion. There's some obscure scriptures people kind of grab a hold of to say, you see, it says that pets can, and they're just obscure. They don't really say for sure. So we'll let that be a, a we don't know for sure. But it's kind of an opinion thing. And it, I was thinking, since it's kind of an opinion thing, maybe it works like it works with people. Like some people can go to heaven, and some people ha- go to hell. You know, you know, based on the gospel, you know. But I'm, but I'm wondering uh, if if it works that way with pets, and which pets would be more open to Jesus or not, or if some pets go to heaven or some pets go Maybe to hell. I mean, think about it. faith based with them as works based. <laughs> so I don't know. Were they good enough? Because pets have enough. like little personalities, so it's kind of weird. <laughs> so like, um, so maybe we could just vote and decide like as a church what mm-hmm. our official position is going to be on some of these animals. So it's just, so let's say, what about puppies? Aww. Puppies and dogs. Of course. Right, do puppies pup- do. All right, puppies get to go to heaven. Yeah. 
puppies. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna settle that then. Um, What about horses? Yes, (laughs) yes. All right. Absolutely. No, see, we're getting a division the in the house ones, right now. We're going to have to do a majority vote, I think. <laughs> As she likes horses. I don't. Oh, I don't man. trust them. They're beautiful. She says Go. they're beautiful. Majestic. I want to quote somebody here. Somebody, this is a great quote on horses. They're dangerous on both ends and crafty in the middle. <laughs> That's the deal with horses. I don't trust horses completely. So lots of fun. How many of y'all think horses make it to heaven? Absolutely. All right. How many of you think horses don't make it to heaven? See, I can no longer be friends with you I, people. I just I didn't need, need more no evidence, I guess. I don't know. Like the Lone Ranger's horse, Trigger? Was Trigger, that was his name? Yeah, silver, silver. Yeah, high silver away. That's what, see. A new one climbed now, the tree. He, he, might, he might make it. Mr. Ed, <laughs> probably he could talk, but that little horse was devious, though, so I don't know if Mr. Ed will make it. If they can talk, they got to get saved. Yeah, right, so true. just. True. I just crazy. What did y'all spend most of the time talking on in church today? <laughs> we were voting on whether or not animals would make <laughs> it to hell. How awesome horses now, are. Now, okay, puppies were kind of unanimous. Horses is kind of split. But here's the deal. I know for sure. I know for sure there is no way, no way cats are going to make it in heaven. That's right. Cats do not go. Cats are not going to make it into heaven. Look, I mean, just look at this. <laughs> Look at this demon-possessed cat. He looks like he's up to no good. That's just... Now, some of y'all, when y'all see cats, you see cute, cuddly. Some of y'all are cat people. When I see every cat, they look like that to me. Every cat. They're up to something. We need to see a show of hands who does think they go, because we've got a cat for you, if you if you do. Who all thinks that cats... You <laughs> see? So we there got, we go. Rhiannon, Rhiannon has a cat. We have a cat for you today. Yeah, we, have, we, we, we can get rid of pets for hey, you. Hey, you said you didn't like horses, Brad, so you're out. Your opinion doesn't so, matter to me anymore. All right, so Rhea, cats, I'm talking to Rhiannon. By majority vote, cats are out, so cats won't make it into heaven then. Right, what about bunnies? Oh, bunnies are Bunnies cute. are pets. Bunnies are fluffy and cute. I just, I just, how many of you think bunnies make it into heaven? I think bunnies. I think so, too. Bunnies Bugs Bunny cute. almost ruined that for them all. Roger Rabbit definitely <laughs> got problems, but I think bunnies will make it. Uh, what about chinchillas? Yes, they're so soft. That's the softest animal I've ever. Look at that had. pudgy little. It's so cute. Mouse rabbit looking thing. Have you pet them? They're really soft, though. See, I got problems. I held them one time. It did. I got problems with really this. Soft. How many of y'all think chinchillas will make it? You can't be that <coughs> soft and not. I don't trust that, though. Here's, I got questions. All right, before I vote. All right, something that cute and soft and, and fuzzy, I don't know that it can be trusted. <laughs> I don't know that it can be trusted. I want to know what happens when it gets wet. If you get it wet, what happens? <laughs> what happens if you feed it after midnight? Okay, that's my other question. Does it turn into some kind of demon gremlin thing? Like, it looks cool now till it sneaks some pepperoni pizza at 12.01, and you wake up the next morning, and it's, ah, I don't know. Now you got me second-guessing my idea of I just, I'm just saying I need, I need <laughs> to see that joker. I need some more evidence on that. Um, here's one we can probably agree on, spiders. No. Who's no, down no, for a pet no, spider? No, no, Now, my mom's raising her hand. I, I, that's disturbing. It's pet spiders. <laughs> 
pet spiders, pet spiders, pet spiders. No, that's, I don't, look, if you got a pet spider, one, we're going to pray for you because something's, something's off rhythm somewhere. I don't know. It, if you saw one of these this size in your house, you've only got one choice. You got to burn the house down. You got to burn that joker down or get, a, get, a, get your hunting rifle and destroy it. So that's what I'm thinking. We spend a lot of time on that. Do do animals go? Do, yeah, pets go to hell. We're having some fun with that. But yeah, I don't. It's one of those don't really know. But we we made some good headway today, so we know which ones might and which ones might not. Uh, we're not going to have time to finish all of this stuff. We're not going to have time to finish all of this stuff today. Um, No, 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 no. So number six, we were going to ask, how do you know if you have a special anointing or spiritual gift? Ooh, that's a good one. We're going to get to that one. Um, number seven, what is a baptism in, of the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? That's actually a question that came in a lot um, when we were receiving questions for this series, mostly about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to devote... A whole service to this on November 17th. We're going to answer that question. Who is the Holy Spirit? Um, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? What is his work in a believer's life? What is that all about? doesn't get talked about a lot in a lot of circles. We're not ashamed of that. Let me tell you, man, the Bible's pretty clear about the Holy Spirit's role in the life of a believer. And, and we're going to talk about that on November 17th. It's going to be a great service. Um, another great question that came in was, what is spiritual warfare? What is spiritual warfare? A lot of people have questions on that. Listen, if there is an area where the church is just dipped off into Fruit Loop land, it's this one right here. What is spiritual warfare? So we're going to answer um, a lot of those questions actually next week. Um, it's right before Halloween. And so we thought, you know what, it'd be great just to talk about spiritual warfare uh, that week. So we're going to answer a lot of questions um, are angels and demons real? It's a lot of questions that people have. You read about them in Scripture, but are they actually real? Um, are ghosts and spirits on the earth today? How many of y'all have got some like story going around in your family where somebody experienced or saw something that they thought was a ghost? Just a show of hands. Most people will. Now, is there any truth to that at all? Or maybe is there something else at work there? We're going to talk about that uh, next week. Does Satan have powers? And can he use them on us? I think the answer to that would scare the, the mess out of some people. Um, what role do I play in spiritual warfare? Probably a bigger role than you think. So we're going to answer a lot of those questions next week. It's going to be a great service. I don't want you to miss it. Okay? It's going to be great.